Twenty foot high, our back will promenade. Fake quality, second hunt, equip facade. Limited face paint. And die black with. This is our Everest. Greetings, culture vultures, and welcome to This Is Our Everest, the analogue TV podcast that's through the looking glass. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess the first thing that I think here is the famous image of the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. With crazy hair yeah it's 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 charlie in front of uh, his board yeah trying to figure out who pepe is yeah we're in deep surprisingly deep especially seeing that when you revealed what we were going to be watching i wasn't expecting to do any investigative journalism no Uh, i didn't know what the program was or who any of the people you'd mentioned were in it Uh who any of those people were yeah this is liftoff with Aisha, yeah. a Granada TV music magazine programme from the 15th of October 1974. It's one of the later editions of this programme, which ran for five years and eight series. First things first, I'm interested in the way that you pronounce her first name. I'm just going on what Barry Blue said. Yeah, you. so you call her Aisha. See, I call her Aisha. Well, that's up to you. I mean, it's it's. Who's called Aisha though? Aisha makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's likely. I don't know. I hadn't really thought that much about it. I tell you what, I was going to mention. I don't know how to pronounce her surname either. What Bruff? Do you think it's Bruff? Yes. Right. Okay. Oh, I'm good with that then. Because I mean, the thing is that I'd heard of Bruff from Bruff Park, which is a dog track in the northeast of England somewhere <laughs> near Newcastle, I think. Oh, yeah, probably not named after Aisha. Probably not named after her, but you know, it's. But I was like, well, is that just the only way that it's pronounced? Because it's that O U G H thing, isn't it? You know, there's like oh well, English, yeah, yeah, nine different ways of pronouncing it. English is a notorious bitch. Um, yeah. So if we settle then on Aisha Bruff, although I might, I might just say Aisha. Yeah, just really say matter? whatever you want. But anyway, we we've been watching Lift Off with Aisha. There are 144 episodes of this programme. Yeah. Uh, which makes it all the more impressive that I'd never heard of it. But I hadn't, and I hadn't heard of Aisha, and I hadn't heard of Barry Blue, so I went into this quite cold. Yeah. And my first immediate surprise was, as Aisha and, and Barry, it's a very bizarre opening because you've got the, the animated titles of somebody who looks a little bit like Jeff Lynn. Yeah. Very 70s. Hair, beard, glasses. And then there's no real sort of applause. I was expecting a fanfare of childlike applause because I knew that this was a children's... Yeah. Not a children's music programme, but a music programme for children. Yeah. And Aisha was there and Barry Blue was there and they were telling us who's going to be on the show. And then all of a sudden... Do you know I think you've got a really good show this week? Like? You do? Yeah. Oh, good. Who have we got? We've got... Uh... Jigsaw. Mm-hmm. 
And Eli Culbertson. And of course, Barry. Thank you. And, and us. us. Got to watch this too, aren't even going to give us a mention. Yeah, what a cheek. The Bay City Rollers. Yeah. We meet again. Yeah. Five parps on the repeat appearance <laughs> klaxon coming up. Yeah. They deserve every single one. I mean, so this is the 15th of October 1974. As such, yeah. it is my dad's 30-something birthday. 38? 38, 38 you said birthday, last week. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting time, isn't it? We're still feeling the effects of the, the oil crisis. We are just short, I think, of the second general election of the year. There's already been one. Now there's got to be another one. Fun times. It's, it's you know, the miners have been on strike. There's been war in the Middle East. It's been one of those periods when there's been a lot packed into quite a short period of time. Yeah, thank God those days are over, right? Yeah. But none of that really um, flavours the programme. It has to be said. Well, I think that there's a case for saying that the uh, expansive outfits were a reaction (laughs) against the austerity of the times, you know? There were some very expensive... I mean, Aisha's wearing what I can only describe as a safari suit. Yeah. Barry Blue is dressed in Cossack garb for... Reasons that will become apparent later. Yeah. And then, of course, the Bay City Rollers are dressed as the Bay City Rollers. I mean, I most associate Barry Blue with a kind of electric blue sparkly jumpsuit. I can see, yeah, I can see it. I'll take Cossack Blue, my old comrade. It's not full Cossack, it's like glam Cossack. Yeah, glam, glam Cossack, yeah. Now, the premise of this programme was, it was essentially a request programme. Children would write in with Mm -hmm. songs that they wanted to hear because it's been their birthday that week or they wanted to play a song for their mum or whatever. Yeah. And then the programme would do their best to accommodate and they would have about three musical guests Mm -hmm. every week. And then all of the slack was picked up by Aisha herself, who actually, it has to be said, 
pretty impressive set of pipes on it. Yeah, it's got a decent voice. It, even though it's fair to say that the studio audience don't look particularly impressed. Well, you know, we'll come back to the songs that she does. She does... Uh, but they're six, a bunch of kids, yeah, aren't they? is it two songs? She does two, yeah. Uh, and they're, they're both of a bit of a sack and nothing. So they really they pack them in actually in terms of the amount of songs for the length of the episode they really cram them in. Well, there isn't. There's no fat on it. No, absolutely. There's not. like ten seconds at the start. Ten seconds at the a, start. The Bay City Rollers. A minute hopping. Yeah, a minute or two at the end. And other than that, it's just yeah, song to song to song to song to song. Because at the end of the day, I don't really necessarily think that kids want to see these people standing around drawing and i think that that's probably how it comes to take this format it's just squeeze as much music as you can into as tight a place as possible don't worry about the quality of it oh no i mean obviously not (laughs) now this program as i say there were eight series between 1969-1974, most of them have been lost. Yeah. And they were lost in the most predictable way, which is that they sent the master tapes off to be digitised and some bloody idiot deleted the wrong thing. Yeah. And lost everything. Yeah, they they misread or misnoted what needed to be done to the tapes when they got to the archive. And I can't remember which way around it was, whether they misinterpreted it themselves, yeah, or whether they were the person who left the mark that was missing that was that was read correctly. I can't remember which I way I get the it feeling was. that they threw the wrong thing away. We've all done it in the podcasting world, even. Yeah. We've all accidentally thrown the wrong thing away and had to start again. But, of course, when you're dealing with 144 episodes of a TV programme that were made in the 1970s, and you're digitising them in 2019. (laughs) There's not an awful lot you can do. Call them all back in. Well, there is one on YouTube, this one. There's one on YouTube. And there are... God bless it. There are definitely more. I've read in in one place that there are three. You think there are more than three. I think there are more than three. I think I've seen more than three. There was an account on YouTube which we leaned on heavily for earlier episodes in this series called Cleops, which was uh, had a lot of stuff on it, and I'm sure there were more than three episodes of Liftoff with Asia on it. And unfortunately, I can't verify that one way or the other because that account was gone. A tragedy. That looked like it was a private collection or ripped from a private collection. So, um, yeah. how direct it was obtained from the BBC, you, you don't know. In January 2019, Somebody found a lost recording of Liftoff, which featured David Bowie yes. performing, I believe, Starman. It was his first televised appearance as Ziggy Stardust. It predated his appearance on Top of the Pops, very famous appearance on Top of the Pops, by a month. Yeah, now I listened to that and he was miming. So I wasn't <laughs> certain of what the value of it was. It just said it, yeah. it was just a pretty bad quality recording of him doing star of, of, of starman it could have been anybody in anywhere i don't know if he spoke at the end of it i didn't make it that far certainly i don't think he said anything at the beginning and when i listened to it it just sounded like it, that that's the record now before i begin watching any of these programs i like to do a little bit of preliminary research on the old 
Wikipedia. And what I discovered about Liftoff with Aisha is that they had a dance troupe Mm -hmm. on the series called The Feet. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether or not the feet are in evidence in this. There is a dance troupe, but I'm not sure if it is the feet. Series 5 featured a house band called The Patterns. Okay. This, unfortunately, is Series 8. Uh, later series featured puppets Fred Barker and Ollie Beak. And I've got to tell you, I was devastated that they weren't there. All right, okay. Especially as you said that there were things in this programme that were going to twist my melon. Yeah. I thought... A puppet called Ollie Beak is well. Yeah, I mean that that would that would do obviously, but no, it's it's not in this episode. No, it wasn't in. But I mean, there there was plenty. There was plenty to get into, and I think the best way to do this is just going to be to essentially do it as an itemised list as it happens. Just to dive on in. This has been, without question, my favourite programme of any of the ones that we've watched. There's, only, I think there have only been about 500 views of this on YouTube, and I'm pretty sure 50 of them are me. Well, I think that what you've been doing is vaccinating yourself. Oh. Um, I think that you've been repeatedly viewing to dull that sensation that you got the very first time you saw one of the guests in particular on this program. Yeah, stick a pin in that. Yeah, because we've got a lot. We've got a lot to say about him. It is worth pointing out that in six months' time, Lift Off with Aisha was no more and was replaced on the schedules by another Granada program, Shang Lang. Yeah. So it's every chance that the producer of this program, who's also the producer of Shang Lang, Muriel Young had wandering eyes at this point and was sort of, hmm, we could make a programme with the Bay City Rollers in it. Well, I should imagine the contract was already agreed by them because I don't think it started very far into 1975, did it? So it was most likely they'd sign the contract, shuffle them on to this episode and uh, Bob's your uncle. Bit of free promo for the new series. Get them a little bit of practice in front of the cameras in the easiest possible yeah. environment. Having seen Shangalang, the practice didn't do them a lot of good. No, it didn't really. straight into the first performance which was by Jigsaw yes they were performing their latest single which was the only single from their new album You're Not The Only Girl yeah it did very badly apparently that single oh (laughs) Um, now Jigsaw are an interesting group they've been through a number of members by this point they're a two piece yeah with Clive Scott and Des Dyer Des Dyer is one of the more fascinating sights in rock and roll. A lead singer who's also the drummer. A singing drummer. (laughs) And now I get the feeling that you're not a fan. Okay. I have experience of being a singing drummer. (laughs) And let me tell you that it's all very well being a singing drummer on a big, wide-open stage. But in a lot of 
live venues, especially smaller ones, getting a microphone to the, a drummer's mouth <laughs> is not easy. Because the easy way to do it is to do it either from the direct side or from behind. Well, that that's true of many things. But yeah, well, yeah, very, very true. As you know, <laughs> as previously discussed, as previously discussed in length. all the other episodes of this podcast, at great length. Yeah, there's no room for the microphone stand to come over your arm from anything like a convenient angle. The mm. problem is that if you have it coming in from the front. It's going to go across either the drums or the cymbals or both. And at worst, will make the kit practically unplayable. You know, if you pick the worst angle that you can. You know, my experience of it was almost always bad until the last time I had to do it. When somebody just gave me a little clip-on microphone Uh and a strip... Uh, of material just to wrap around my forehead and it just clipped onto that and down into my mouth and it didn't shift an inch it was brilliant if it had always been this easy i'd have done it more but yeah i always put it off because you just end up kind of hunched up or something or trying to play at this ridiculous angle or having to lift your arm to go from one side of the kit to the other yeah. and it's just modern microphone technology has very much liberated the singing drummer yeah, so, you know, I'll accept that. What I don't accept is that it is possible to give your all on a drumming performance and a vocal performance at the same time. Now, I can't speak for what it takes to be anything like a decent singer, but I can tell you that to be anything like a decent drummer, you need to be concentrating that's kind of my objection i do feel that old des des dyer des dyer on the drums Mm. he's compromised on drums to get the microphone in his kit seems very stripped back to me to my eye it's a very unrefined performance of a very unrefined song at the end of the day, there's there's nothing to it. I ca- I've forgotten it, you know. I can't remember it. I was only watching it, you know, half an hour ago. And I've forgotten that song already. It's got in one ear, out the other. You've got Jim Davison and Trevor Brooking on guitar in the background. <laughs> well, yeah, Jim Davison and Trevor Brooking at the back. And then uh, the pianist, who I, I mean, I assume is the other member of the band. Yeah, that's now, your Clive Clive Scott. Big fan, big fan of the standing up to play an upright piano style. Yeah. Not a big fan of the fact he didn't have a pint pot on it. If you're going to play an upright piano while stood up, just respect the form. There needs to be a pint pot on the top that sort of dances and jiggles along as you uh, play that old Joanna. What he did have on top of the piano was what I can only describe as a child saxophone. Yeah. Which, I mean, like most of the performances on this, I mean, we have we were discussing this earlier, and we have, I think, settled on the fact that most of these performances, including this one, were 
done to backing tracks with live vocals. So yeah, ultimately, he didn't need to be a real saxophone. He could, in fact, have done that with a kazoo for all well, the good that it was going to do. I I think that what they what what they were actually doing was that they were playing live, but at a low volume over the that's record. Also, yeah, that's also possible. Uh, I think that's what they were doing. It, 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 it was something that they used to occasionally do on top of the pops. There is a quite famous clip of Mott the Hoople doing Not All the Young Dudes, the other one, Roll the Way to Stone. <laughs> Uh, on top of the pops, it's the one where he's got the giant drumsticks. They're like snooker cues. Yeah, uh, but I Backing think singers with boobs. Yeah, but but he, I, I'm pretty certain that he's singing over the top of a recorded track on that. And there are other examples of it as well. I was watching an episode of Top of the Pops last night from 1978, I think, and somebody was doing it in that. Because you can hear two two versions of the same voice. They're mm. almost perfectly in sync, but it's still two versions of it. You can hear it. And I think that's what was uh, that's what was going on in uh, in this programme with all the acts, actually. Except for Barry Blue, who didn't have a backing band at all. But or a clue. Yeah. Second song is Aisha. She's stood in amongst the audience uh, of, of children who... I would say about 50% of them are sort of engaged and listening to her. The other Mm. 50% are talking amongst themselves, uh, watching the playback on the monitors around the studio. Yeah. Staring Um, into space, a few of them. Staring into space. I'm not surprised. The song that she was singing, which is Arizona, which was Mm -hmm. a song by Mark Lindsay. Yeah. uh, Is the sort of song that appears on all of these programmes. Uh-huh. Every single one. Uh, it's uh, it's like a post hippie dirge. Yeah. Well, if the if this song has a moral thrust behind it, it's stop being a hippie and grow up. That yeah, that's essentially you know, the message. It's yeah. a, that that is essentially the message of the song. And there's the bit obviously that you know. Oh, I saw you saw you on your way to San Francisco. I I guess you lost your way. Which is obviously a a little jibe in the direction yeah. of the uh, the famous song of what seven years earlier. I think it's it probably is going above most of the audience's heads when you consider that most of the audience are about twelve. Oh yeah, I should think it likely is, but you know they they're kind. It, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's 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 the insertion of that. M- not particularly thinly veiled message to very young, very sponge-like brains. It stands on its own merits because it it is a request show at the end of the day and someone has written in to request it. And at the end of the song... The Archbishop of Canterbury. (laughs) Aisha Aisha reveals that it was the Archbishop of Canterbury who'd uh, who'd requested it. Barry Blue comes in and demonstrates... And you can see that Aisha is very proud of Barry's ability to read. Yeah. You know, there's a sort of mother hen glow as as she watches him read words off a card. As they introduce the third act, the Bay City Rollers. (laughs) 
I've seen quite a lot of Bay City Rollers over the last few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly more than I ever expected to. <laughs> you didn't and, see it coming. And I've seen... I, I've I've kept an eye on the drummer. Not just Derek. in that sense. Well, yeah. everyone, A number of people have been keeping an eye on that drummer. Yeah, not just in that sense. But um, I've been keeping an eye on watching him play in the drums. And yeah, he can play. He's play, he's playing. He's it's there's nothing very complex going on. Didn't you, you know? criticise him in the Shangalang episode for having his symbols at a weird angle? His symbols were an altogether more normal angle this time oh, around, yeah. which leads me to believe that they were just miming on Shangalang. Yeah, and, I think they were. Yeah, and maybe playing a bit more live here. It wouldn't necessarily be uncommon. For the drummer to still use silencing pads, no, even if the 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 vocal and the guitar is 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 live, so you know that's not uncommon. A quick word about their attire: fucking hell, big platforms and very short trousers. I I mean, I've 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 tried heels on. <laughs> um, I I had a girlfriend for a couple of years when I was in my twenties. And uh, she was about the same height as me. And I think she was like half a shoe size smaller. Oh, well, I mean, that's just irresistible then, isn't it? And, well, and yeah, and she and, and she was, she had a pair of heels, but she didn't, she didn't really like wearing them. And she was like, well, try them on and, you know, you see what you think. And, and I tried and, and I was straight over. It was, it was impossible. I would have loved to have seen that. Fuck that shit. I mean, I don't understand the appeal. I just don't. You know, just stick a pair of trainers on. Fuck's sake. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously... slippers. Yeah. Go out in your slippers if you want and if you're that, if you're that desperate to potentially break your ankle, there are easier ways to do it. Yeah. There's a part of me which is saying kudos for... Being able to move so easily on them. They must have been six, seven, eight inches. The heels. On yeah, they're pretty impressive. And so I'm, I, I, I can clap in admiration. But at the same time, all these people presumably gave a shit about being role models for kids. You know. Yeah. If you're not a role model for kids, then you do you. Don't get me I wrong. Think, I'm, yeah, not on, mean... I'm not on some sort of moral crusade here. But what I am saying is that if you set yourself in a position in which you are a role model for kids and you're playing in front of 200 of them live and there's going to be another few million watching at home on TV, it's probably best not to uh, go on stage and walk around and dance around a little bit on these shoes that will break their fucking ankles if they wear them. Yeah. I mean, I can understand... Because, you know, it was very um, high fashion at the time. So I can understand that Les and Eric and Woody, the youngsters, might be into it. But 
Alan, who, yeah. to all extents and purposes, looks like their dad is on stage with them. Yeah, he's old. He's old enough to know that you shouldn't be wearing such stupid shoes, especially well, to play standing up piano. No, I think that when when you're when you're appearing on TV, and particularly when you're appearing on kids' TV, there are. Uh, there should be rules and protocols in place to take care of this sort of thing. Yeah. There should be somebody there going, do you know what? I think we all know how many ankle injuries there have been as a result of these, so maybe don't go on stage wearing them. Health and safety gone mad. On this kids' TV show. Because what, <laughs> what, you know, if it, if you're a 12-year-old kid and you're really into the Bay City Rollers and you see that programme, What's the first thing you're going to want to buy afterwards? Well, it's either going to be huge heels or trousers that don't quite meet the top of your socks. Well, the trousers, I mean, they they fail at both ends. They are. They're just pulled up too far. (laughs) If you actually look, they're right up sitting on like, sitting well above his hips. They're, like, they're resting on his love handles. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're way too high. Way too high. They're not, I you don't... Know, this is how I have to wear trousers these days. <laughs> Form an orderly queue, ladies. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether or not any of the Bay City Rollers have ever reproduced. But if, they, if none of them have, it's possibly because uh, they were rendered infertile by just how high they were... Having their trousers rucked. Well, up. you know, it's it's surprising that his voice, you know, <laughs> isn't castrato. Oh, oh, I love you so. Woody and Les then assist Aisha at the beginning of part two. Yeah. Reading out the, the next requests. And, I mean, I, I didn't know exactly who had requested it. Uh, they, I remember they, they'd requested it for their mum. But whoever had requested this, I can only thank this genius. Mm. Because what they had requested was the song I Need Your Love Tonight by Eli Culbertson. Now, everything has been building to this Everything moment. has been building to this. If, you, if you've not heard of Eli Culbertson... Get on YouTube. <laughs> well, get on YouTube. But I tell you something, don't, don't really get on anywhere else because... As well as being perhaps the most bewildering and beguiling Elvis impersonator you'll ever see in your life. I I would question your use of the word beguiling there, but carry on. He's also, as well as being the most remarkable thing, presence, that you can find on the internet, there's also virtually nothing else about him. Right. We can find out... I mean, we looked into this at some... Cons- we, we went mad 
you, it's fair you, to you, say. you did. I looked for about five minutes. Yeah, I, I've, I've been quite deep into there. And I was yeah. just... Because what's the internet for if it's not to find out about genuinely peculiar things like this weird performance? Conspiracy man... theories? Well, possibly. Just a suggestion. But this is this is in itself a conspiracy theory. Because well, it is a... now you've created it. Here's, here's a I man. mean, this is the thing, you see. I've yeah. never been at the birth of a conspiracy theory before. Yeah, well, this and, is how they uh, start. So, you know, I'm, I, I've been sitting back and watching your behaviour. It's been very interesting. <laughs> like I say, I think you've vaccinated yourself uh, with this programme. I think that in the first instance, you were like, fuck a doodle do when you saw the Bay City Rollers again and their stupid, grinning, ugly mugs and their ridiculous <laughs> clothes and haircuts. Yeah. Uh, and I think that you, uh, you've you double-dosed on it, is what you've done. You've... you've um, Double-dose of that Bay City Rollers. I mean, how many times have you watched this? I've, def- I've watched it all the way through in one chunk at least three times right. and i've watched individual bits from it countless yeah. times yeah but and the thing that's and the, and the thing that's happening now is that stockholm syndrome is settling in well, no. and this has led you into a conspiracy theory which i don't know the resolution of yet i'm interested to find out about no. it Eli Culbertson, right? <laughs> he is. He's. He's essentially. He's an Elvis impersonator. Uh, we'll get stick a pin in that because we'll get back to that. He looks like Elvis. He's dressed like Elvis. Sort of Las Vegas Elvis. Chest hair, what there is of it, on yeah. display. Jumpsuit, big belt, quaffered hair, hair by Quink. Yeah. And he has got all of the Elvis moves. Uh-huh. Huh. Um he's 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 it seems on all the same drugs that Elvis was on, judging by this bizarre performance which sees him sort of nailed to the spot and clutching at the air and staring around like somebody who's frankly having a bit of a whitey. And gyrating. Yeah, there's gyrating. All of this, it has to be said, to an audience comprised entirely of girl guides. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? In what fucking world is it considered appropriate (laughs) that this visibly old man, dressed as Elvis, who isn't even dead yet, that is true. And come out onto the stage and do this. It's an Elvis song, isn't it? It is an Elvis it's song. It's an Elvis it? song. I, I've listened, I listened to the Elvis version of it. The Elvis version of it... Considerably uh, spent, fucking better than this. It spent 15 weeks on the chart, five at number one in 1959. This, as far as I can see, as well as being Eli Culbertson's only ever record release, didn't even, char- didn't even chart. Yeah, well, which just the, adds another layer to the absolute insanity of this whole thing. Well, the thing, I mean, the thing is that he comes out and he starts 
like moving and he starts gyrating, but he's but he's he's welded to the spot. Yeah, and you yeah. look at, and there's a shot of it which is almost from behind, and you can see there's just all these little girls looking at it, and it's yeah. like, this is, you know, I'm not, I'm no Mary fucking Whitehouse, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I seem to find myself saying this every week in this podcast, but I am yeah. no Mary Whitehouse. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was just sitting watching, thinking, who waved this through? I think some of the sort of knowing looks that he gave, they may be attributable to drugs, but I think they are also possibly attributable to the fact that he realises the absurdity of the situation. Yeah, I think I'd, I, I, I'd like to think so. You know, But I'd he, like he doubles think... down. He doubles down on the performance because yeah. the second half of it, his vocal gets extremely echoey and yeah. slurred. Yeah. And then it sort of disappears into the mix for a while. And yeah. he's he uh, at times forgets that he's singing live. Yeah. <laughs> and, and has to pick up the beginnings of verses in the middle of the first yeah. line. He's sweating like a pig. <laughs> he's sweating like a pig. I mean, that must surely be nerves. All of that together can only be nerves, can't it? What I will say is, given what his hair looks like, I'm impressed that that sweat wasn't black. Giuliani style. Yeah, black rivulets of uh, inky goodness. Well, I I wondered whether he might be the anti-Stardust. Alvin mm, well. Stardust's evil nemesis. Of course, now you might, you might well think, well, yeah, but he wears white, you know. But, I mean, Alvin Stardust wears black. We know that Alvin Stardust isn't evil because he helps kids cross the road. That's true. Alvin Stardust would never gyrate like that. He just he just beckons you in. That's not creepy. Eli Culbertson has never helped a child cross the road. He arrived in London in <laughs> 1973 at Heathrow Airport. Everyone yeah. thought it was Elvis. He was in company with a woman who had one tit out. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we saw a photo I mean, of that, and she had one tit hanging out. You but, know, I mean, I, I don't know. is it this is the thing we don't know anything about him i would have said that he has the look of somebody who is you know works at pontins about him but his teeth are too good i i I was looking at him and thinking that's not the bloke out the flying pickets is it It, well that no that i have i've written down there are five possibilities. Actually, no, there are six possibilities. But the the sixth, the sixth, I didn't bother writing down because it is probably so far through the looking glass that it's going to turn my head inside out. The possibilities for the identity of this mystery man, Eli Culbertson, who shot through the air like a shooting star and has disappeared. Number one, 
he's an Elvis impersonator whose name is Eli Culbertson. Yeah. Who's nev- never heard of again and no information pertaining to him exists online. That's possibility number one. Yeah. Seems, like, seems unlikely, given the preposterousness well, of Well, no, hang on a minute. Don't start applying value judgments to okay. it. Just, just explain it to me. Allow me to make my own mind up. Second possibility. Mm-hmm. He is a famous... Elvis impersonator called Dale Eli Culbertson, uh, which is an alias of a notorious Elvis lookalike from America called Larry Blong. Okay. Sadly, I'm not making any of this up. This all actually has come from meticulous research of what scraps there are about. I this. have seen. I have seen most of this. Larry Blong. I, I didn't read it in much detail, but I have seen most of it. Possibility three. Yeah. He is. Arion, who, which is an alias of another Elvis impersonator, Anthony Doyle Richards of Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Possibility number four. Yeah. He's John Cotner, who was an Elvis impersonator and personal friend of Andy Kaufman, who, right. of course, was himself a very adept Elvis impersonator. He was, yes. Uh, Andy Kaufman helped John Cotner secure a spot on the Dick Van Dyke show. Okay, isn't that is that on? It might that be on YouTube or something? Well, well that it, should, but that presumably would exist somewhere. Yeah, that would presumably exist, and I haven't seen it. Number five, and this comes from a uh, a blogger post on a, a site about curio and rare glam rock records of the 1970s okay he's not an El- he's not an elvis impersonator never has been and never will be that was one of the commenters on the post about this record from an uh, anonymous poster who claimed to be the real eli culbertson mm. the sixth possibility and this is the one that i think i've given the most credence over the last few days is that none of this ever happened and that we're in the grip of some kind of mass delusion. Can two people really be in a mass delusion? Well, I know. I mean, what we need is for everyone who's listening to this to watch the programme. We, we, normally, we encourage people to not watch the programme. But this time, if you're listening to this, watch the programme and see if he's there. Which was the one <laughs> that you can't speak its name? What's that, then? That, that was number six. That, oh, was right. the, that was the last one. That because because the fact that it, despite all evidence, didn't actually happen and d- doesn't exist. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tricky mm. area. Oh, uh, but the thing is, I watched it. I know. Like, the so scene, did I. Yeah, just over an hour ago. I've been watching it all week. <laughs> I know. It's, it's I know. still there. It's still yeah. it's still there. And yeah. You can get the record. It's got a catalogue number and everything. What we need, really, is Aisha is still alive. She's still with us. Um, She's in her mid-60s now, I think. Living in... 70s, surely. Oh, I've got her birthday written down here. Uh, 1948, so... 72. Yeah, Yeah, 72, 73. No, all right, early 70s. She's still around, living in LA, I think. I mean, she's great. You know, I, I think she's great. Other other than the songs were a bit anodyne. Yeah, she's got a, she's got a good set of pipes, and uh, she presents herself well, and she's nice to look at, 
and she's very at ease and welcoming in front of the camera. So, you know, I have no complaints about her. No, and my only complaint is that she has got information about who this person was, even if it's just some personal recollections. The Bay City Rollers were also there. I mean, when Les introduced Eli Culbertson, you could see there was a twinkle in his eye, as if to say, this is batshit, this. I wonder, right, if Les McEwen might be on one of those personal message sites that they get now, you know, where celebrities will just send you a message. And how much it would cost to get Les McEwen to send you a message. And rather than having something read out, can you just ask, can you just tell us everything you know about Eli Culbertson? Yeah. What would you know, did you speak to him? Where no, was that's he it, that's from? it. No, 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 don't no, let's not you know, let's not overload him. Bear in mind that this was almost fifty years ago, you know. Well, yeah, but at the same time, you're not gonna forget it, are you? All right then, Les. Here's sixty-five quid, or however much it costs. And he's like, "All right, what's what's the message, lads?" And they're like, um, <laughs> "No specific message. I just want to know, you know, how how long how long does this get me? Thirty seconds, a minute, as long as I've got of what you know about Eli Colbert. Eli Colbert. And don't you don't know. you pretend that you don't know who Eli Colbertson is. Yeah, because and, it, and if you if you and if you do. Then you know, I we, we are. We, I'm paying you sixty-five quid. I think you can give us five minutes if you've got five minutes. Yeah. I doubt if you've got five minutes. I don't you know. know. I, I mean, think he might. You know, I think he might have a minute and a half. I think you'll get like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. He hung around backstage, acting as if he was Elvis. We never saw him before, and we never saw him again. I think no. that's the most likely yeah. answer you'd get. I, I think that's probably... That, I mean, the, you know, the question is, having actual Les McEwen say that, would that be worth 65 quid? Well, it'd be worth 65 of your quid. <laughs> I'm just wondering whether we should start a crowdfunder. Just just, just tell us, Les. Just, you know, just, he, yeah. he needs to know. Hashtag reveal, reveal the information, Les. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is... I genuinely think for your mental health. I genuinely you, think yeah. for your did, mental did health. Did any? You... Did you hear him speak backstage? Was he from America? Was he from Britain? You know, was he from Falkirk, Prestatyn, Bingley, Bootle? I'm just listing places in the UK now. You are now. Yeah, where yeah. he like? But as I say, I think he his teeth were too good to be from an Elvis impersonator from the UK in 1974, mm. which makes me think he was probably American, but. Also, Elvis wasn't even dead. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. You think I haven't noticed all this? That that said, that said, Elvis, I don't think ever fully explored the glitter beat in the same way that Eli Culbertson did. I quite liked the sound of it. You know, I, as you know, I'm a big fan of of glam rock, and so anything that's got a hint of it about it, I will pay more attention to it than I would to probably any other yeah. sort of music. I mean, this is fairly. I mean, this is '74, obviously, so it's fairly glam rock heavy. You've got the glitter beat there. Barry Blue was a noted glam presence, yeah. and the Bay City Rollers weren't glam rock but they were tam rock yeah so you know they they, they, they were a glam rock adjacent i would have said yes yeah, but I, ju- I just want to know i just want to i don't understand why the internet exists 
if it isn't to pass on information about this bizarre, genuinely bizarre. Well, I think that what it is, is that there is almost certainly a point in the past, which is like a kind of cut-off date for this sort of thing. Um, I think that there is so much information out there about so many people that you actually become unfamiliar with the idea of not being able to find out everything about them at your fingertips. It's true. You know, when I was, say, 15, who was famous when I was 15? 1987, Paul Hogan, say. Well, what did I know about Paul Hogan? He was Australian. He drank Foster's. He had a hat, probably. Yeah. That's it. What way did I find, uh, or have, of finding out more about Paul Hogan, if I wanted to? Well, primarily, interviews Mm. that Paul Hogan gave in the press. Or, just about his current stuff. You know. You could have written off to the Paul Hogan fan club. Yeah, if I was weird about it, there might have been a book that I could get. Yeah, that would be pretty much next level. It all would have been completely kind of, to some extent, officially sanctioned or written by just fans. I doubt if there would be many books in 1987 critiquing Paul Hogan. I can't imagine it. Paul, yeah, Paul Hogan. What a prick. By Eli Colbert. So these books, you're completely unused to the information that you simply expect to be there, not being there. It's fascinating. It's really interesting. I'm interested in it particularly because it's been like a kind of experiment that I've been doing with myself of searching increasingly obscure things to see if I can find reference to them somewhere on the net. I'm really interested in it. You know, it's like I I, yeah. I googled the railway station that I grew up this in. This is... And there are two, two different websites about well, it. Yeah. I think you, you've peaked with Eli Culbertson because there is nothing, nothing at all. We're going to be, in the last ten years or so, I know that when I searched him, the first thing that came up was a tweet of mine <laughs> from about October, the first time I saw this clip. Jesus Christ. I just don't understand how that was considered appropriate to put on in front of a couple of hundred 12-year-old girls. Well, no, I mean, those girl guides, I hope they got a badge for it at least. <laughs> Um, we've eaten heavily into our time trying to figure out who Eli Colbertson is, but really it has to be said the rest of the show after that is something of a blur. You've got Aisha performing an Elton John song, love song, yeah, which sounds a bit like it wouldn't be out of place on the Wicker Man soundtrack. And the lighting man is having all kinds of fun. It, it drifted in and out to me. I again, I, I, I. Barry Blue legs it on and performs "Hot Shot" with, uh, the, the backing of some fairly lackadaisical Cossacks. 
that they were not the sort of high energy Cossacks that you might expect. This isn't even Dancing on a Saturday Night, which was the other big hit single that he had. This is not up to that that standard. This is just a, a bit of a load of nonsense with some Cossack dancers in the background and then some of them run forward and kind of sort of lift him up but only a little yeah. bit you know it's it's they 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 lift him off the ground in the way that your mates would I wouldn't do. even say they ran I you would know. say they ambled forward they they were so yeah. lethargic it doesn't feel like anybody is particularly comfortable with it no and the performance is very much over in a trice as well i mean it's it's like oh, yeah, we've only yeah. got a minute and a half barry can you yeah the song's barely 90 seconds but like I say, at the end of the day, I will forgive him anything for Do You Want to Dance. Yeah. I genuinely think it's that good a song. And that's that was the last live performance of the show. The only other piece of business that they had to deal with is that Aisha and Barry got together to award the Bay City Rollers with some silver discs. Yeah, only silver Indic- discs. Indicating only silver. 250,000 sales of three of their songs, Remember, Shangalang, and Summer Love Sensation. I mean, I wasn't particularly impressed. I was like, silver? Huh. Yeah, but it... But then I thought, oh, well, hang on a minute, because they haven't done... They haven't put Bye Bye Baby yeah. out yet, and that's the one that blows It's only 1974 at this present moment. You know, it's still only... Yeah, it's still only 1974. End of the show. Slightly delayed cheer from the crowd. And the closing yeah. titles see some videotape of the Bay City Rollers playing Shangalang at a really peculiarly deserted funfair. It was like the sort of funfair you'd see in a zombie film. Who is Eli Culbertson? I need to know. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> but, yeah. See, this is how it always ends. Well, <sighs> this is where we always end up. I have to say, though, I very much enjoyed... Overall, I very much enjoyed the programme. I think um, I was heartened that somebody had made a music magazine show in the 1970s that didn't have one of those awful, dreary, let's look back into pop history things, which nearly every other one does. Even shows that are meant to be highbrow and for grown-ups... Uh, but I, I feel I feel the great sadness that there are so few of these episodes of this program that still exist, because I'm sure there'll be some very interesting performances throughout. I would have loved to have seen Ollie Beak and Fred Barker. <laughs> Obviously, Eli Culbertson probably only appeared the once, which is probably mm. for the... Who is Eli Culbertson? If Eli Culbertson is you, write in. All right? That's all I can say. It's been a very intense week for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've largely continued as per normal. Yeah. Um, shall we do some creamy centres? Shall we? Yeah, go on then. You've usually got some... I mean, most of the stuff that I've been watching on YouTube this week has to be said. It's been Eli Culbertson related. I've been watching a lot of Top of the Pops, which I always do. I watched an episode of Sale of the Century 
from January 1972. Yeah. I'm wondering whether we should do that on the podcast sometime. I don't well, know I mean, the the beauty of the beauty of the rules that we've established for this podcast is that you know, if if one of us picks it, there's no option. We've got to do it, mm. and otherwise, the other one has lost and will forever be the loser. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, the other thing I found, which I had not seen on uh, on the YouTube's before, was a video of an Isthmian League match. This is a full video, full match, an Isthmian League match. I think it's Isthmian League um, between Enfield and Hitchin Town from September nineteen ninety three. Wow! Do you think that you would have been at that game? Uh, no, I would not, because I was at university at the time. Oh, that's true, yes. But um, uh, I got about 20 minutes into it, and I, I will I will get to the end of it. There's my creamy centre. That's pretty creamy. Um, my creamy centres this week, apart from Eli Culbertson, have been very heavily predicated on Murray Walker. Of who, course. as we record, has just passed on, aged 97 years old. Yeah. The Don, the greatest sports commentator of them all. Uh, I've just been watching some old Grand Prix, some old bits and bobs, whatever I can find. You know, just to immerse myself once more in the wonderful world of Murray Walker. Well, I mean, the thing is that he did it for donkey's years. And it, he did. it is yeah. one of those things, Formula One, that the BBC don't particularly seem to have deleted. So there is a lot of him about, is what I'm saying. For a long time, uh, they were the only people who were really doing it. Yeah. The BBC. Murray Walker himself, I think he, his first Formula One commentary was in 1949. So that predates the World Championship by a year. And when was his last one? When did he retire? About 10 years ago or something, was it? 2001. Oh, was it that long? Yeah. Um, he did. Uh, he did a, a brief, I think radio. He did a radio commentary for the BBC in two thousand seven. The European Grand Prix. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, he didn't just do Formula One. His his main interest, of course, originally was bikes. He also did touring cars and lower formula and rallycross and everything. You could fill the rest of your lifetime. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. The Murray Walker stuff that you've never watched, but it is. I mean, he was d- the defining sports commentator, I think, because he's not like Kenneth Wollstoneholme or John Motson or Barry Davis, in that football was already a big deal. Mm. They they just helped to embody it. Murray Walker made Formula One a big deal. Yeah. And was then the embodiment of it, and also sounded like a Formula One car. He sound yeah, he sounded like a racing car. He uh, just extraordinary passion, extraordinary knowledge. I think all of the sort of oh, he made lots of mistakes thing is neither here nor there because it's a fast moving sport. Yeah, who cares? He's switching between all the different parameters and possibilities at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. As 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 things happen, and at this present moment in time, it's just impossible to imagine there is going to be a Grand Prix in a couple of weeks' time, and he isn't going to be able to see it. Yeah, that is that is the way 
that it, I feel with Murray Walker because he was the Don. But the, what I watched specifically, I watched the 1995 British Grand Prix, which was won by Johnny Herbert after Damon Hill and Michael Schumacher crashed into each other. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I watched the end of the Mexican Grand Prix from 1990 where Nigel Mansell passed Gerhard Berger around the outside of a flat-out corner right at the end. And I also I was very pleased to find the 1987 British Grand Prix, the closing stages, where Nigel Mansell had to make an unplanned pit stop and then caught up his teammate Nelson Piquet and passed him for the lead. The reason I love that is because my favourite sports commentary thing in the world is when you hear someone who's not on the mic. Jimmy Hill celebrating Gary Lineker's hat-trick in the 1986 World Cup is a fine example of this. The 1987 British Grand Prix is a very fine example of this. At the time, to prevent people from talking over each other, they only had one microphone in the box Mm -hmm. uh, at the BBC. And when Nigel Mansell did his famous dummy and then pass on Nelson Piquet, James Hunt was on the microphone. And I, I will, I'll include it here, just in case people haven't heard it. You could just feel the energy coming off Murray Walker. He wanted to be calling this moment. And the mm-hmm. squeal of excitement that you hear in the background is just... I mean, it just tells you everything that you need to know about the man. And sports sports commentary, unintended sports commentary, is probably some of the the truest sports commentary of all i've always thought pk will hold the inside line so there you go so there you go murray walker a tribute right next week we're not gonna be here <laughs> yeah holidays 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 yeah i'm yeah. i'm moving house and I've got all kinds of stress. You wouldn't believe the stress that's going on in my life at the moment. So, I mean, that's before I even had to find out who Eli Culbertson was. So we're going to take a few weeks. It'll be uh, three or four weeks, probably, for you, the long-suffering listener. But when we return, I've picked a special treat Crime Watch UK from May 1986. Interesting. I've been watching a bit of Crime Watch again lately. <laughs> well, I mean, let's not forget last year during lockdown, you and I independently both watched virtually all of the Crime Watch that was on YouTube, we did. which is n- nearly all of it. But now we're going to put all of our knowledge into one big old basket. Stir it up. Yes. Yeah, the next time you hear from me, I will be in a different house. Anyway, we're off on our holidays. I've already got my mankini on. (laughs) We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much for listening, and goodbye.